Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Uh, Tonight I want to talk to you uh, about uh, the fact that we are not of this world. We don't belong here. And how many of you are, with the passage of each day, how many of you are more and more glad that that's the case? Me too. But as we do that, could we just take a few moments to pray? We, we believe that prayer is an important part of everything that we do. And in fact, I, I want to take this opportunity to invite you. Uh, we, we're we're kind of getting everything back together little by little around church. And I want to invite you, you'll notice that a couple of us so far join up here about 10 minutes before each service to pray and invite the presence of the Lord and ask him to work in our lives and to work in your lives true too. And we're not a special group of people. We're just like you. And so I want to invite you, uh, as the Lord would lead you, to come up uh, before any of the services and just join us up here. There's nothing, we don't lead it, we don't do anything. Just come up and pray and invite the Spirit of the Lord. And let's do that together right now as we're here. Lord, we thank you that you are here. You're here because you promised that where two or three of us gather in the name of Jesus, that you would be there. So we thank you for being here with us tonight. Lord, we crave your presence. God, we crave all that you have for us tonight. And so as we begin the next part of this service, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, and not just speak, but to change and transform us. And not just us, but our, children, our babies in the nursery and our children on the second floor and our young people with Pastor Blake up on the, up on the other side. God, everybody, everybody in this place may know and escape your touch, your blessing, your presence, and the things that you want to do in us. Lord, we thank you. You are a good and faithful God. You have blessed us already. Bless us now as we gather around your word. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Well, you know, we spend so much time grieving how this world has changed. And we try so hard and we hope so much that somehow we can get some of it back Somehow we can return things to the way that they were. And I'd like to suggest to you in tonight's message that we're, we're probably not doing the right thing when we do that, even though it's understandable. Uh, my grandfather uh, came over here from Sweden. He was 18 years old. He, it was uh, the year 18, or 1900. And my grandfather got on a steamer, and he went to London. From London, he came to the States. And when my grandfather got here, he learned how to speak English. He got a job. He met and married my grandmother. He owned businesses. He owned homes. He raised his boys. And my grandfather left Sweden and became, in every sense of the word, an American. He didn't hate the country that he came from. He just didn't feel like he belonged there anymore. He had come to a new country, and he was a citizen of that country. I'd like to suggest to you that as we came to Jesus and became a part of the kingdom of God, we changed too. And, and that as much as my grandfather didn't want to or feel that he needed to go back to Sweden, we shouldn't feel like we want to or need to get back to the kingdom of this world now that we have been rescued from it and brought into the kingdom of God. Are you with me tonight? So let's look at how that works just a little bit because God's kingdom is an invisible kingdom. You can't see it, but it's real, and we're a part of it. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world. He's speaking of the world system. I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe 
from the evil one, who, by the way, I'll just add in there, is the one who's running things in the world right at the minute. God, keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, can you belong to this world? No, absolutely not. So here's the thing. In, in several different places, Jesus made clear, Paul made clear, others have made clear, that the one who is in charge of the world that you and I live in is the devil. Boo, thank you. That's good. I don't know who did that, but thanks for the sound effects on that. So here's what, here's what the Bible says. In 1 John 5, it says, we know that we, speaking of believers, we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Wait a minute. I thought God was in control. God is in control. But he has granted a short but certain amount of time when Satan can do what he wants to do but it's so that God's will can be accomplished. Not because God doesn't have power and he's afraid of the devil. It's all a part of God's plan. But it's very, very clear that what's going on in this world is going on because Satan is in charge. He's called the God of this world. John 12 says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler, the God of the chief prince or magistrate of this world, will be cast out. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he can't be cast out unless he's already here. Are we good so far? Who's in charge of the world right now? Satan is. God is ultimately, but he's given Satan permission. So let me ask you something. If Satan is in charge of this world, and by the way, when it says that he is the, the God of this world, or he's the Lord of this world, or, or what, are the, what it really means is that he has influence over all of the world's systems, philosophies, education, uh, politics, uh, the way that people think, society, that's what has been handed over to him. But I want to I wanna reassure you, Christian, I, I, I want to I encourage you, believer, that he does not have control over you. He has control over those who are unbelievers, and he's doing a really good job of it. He rules over the unbelievers in a limited but very specific way. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. When you are praying for your unsaved loved ones, just, just a little side note here, can I encourage you to pray that God will bind the God of this world so that they will not be blinded, your loved ones, so that they can see the light of the glorious gospel and be saved? That's what he does. So if that's what he's doing in this world, in our educational system, and in our philosophies, and in our culture, and in our government, why in the world would we want to be a part of that? Right? We're here, but that's not the kingdom that we're a part of. We're a part of another kingdom, and we're going to be talking about that as well. Because Satan has an agenda for every unbeliever, but not for us. Colossians 1 says, May you be filled with joy always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. That's you and me. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, this world, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. Aren't you glad about that? Ephesians 2 says you, and you is you and me. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. 
we did. I don't want to admit it, but I did. And so did you. <laughs> That's what we did when we, when we lived in sin. It says he's the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's speaking of evil angels. And so he's, he's the commander of those kinds of people or those kinds of beings. He's the commander over them for now. And he's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now let me give you some good news because there's some hope. Because Satan's end is certain and it's sure. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So don't you worry about it. His end is coming. You're, we're not going to be stuck with this forever. But in the moment, I want to ask you, if that's what's going on in the world, and if he is ruling in this world, why do we cling so, so, so strongly to it? Why do we want so much to have it? We're citizens of another country. We're citizens of another world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not. You will never, you'll find Jesus in this world, but you will not find his kingdom operating in this world at this moment. One day, we will. One day, Jesus will literally rule and reign here on this planet. But this is not that day. So in the meantime, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Is it clear so far? Not of this world. That's not the kingdom of God. Jesus went on to basically let us know that his kingdom is invisible. Luke 17 says, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. In other words, you can't see it. It's invisible. We are part of an invisible kingdom. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. It's invisible. They won't be able to say, look, it's over there, because you can't see it. So how can you look to do that? It's an invisible kingdom. It cannot be located. It cannot be here or there. And this is big because the kingdom of God is in you. <laughs> and you, and you, the kingdom of God can't be, I can't see it in you, but it's there. It's an invisible kingdom, and you can't see it anywhere in this world except in the life of a believer. It is located in us. It's an invisible kingdom. It's a spiritual, heavenly kingdom. It's a, it's a, a kingdom Jesus inaugurated in its earth, earthly presence when he came, but there are parts of it that are yet to come. But when he came, he brought the kingdom with him. And when he came, or when he left, he left the Holy Spirit so that his kingdom would live in every believer, in you and in me. That said, we long to see the kingdom of God here on this earth, don't we? Wouldn't you love to see it? Jesus went on another verse later, and he said to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But in the meantime, while we're waiting, we're not just supposed to sit and wait for God to take care of everything for us. We have things to do. Here's the... Here's Here's your job tonight. If you don't do anything else for the kingdom of God, here's our job. Our job is to make the invisible kingdom of God visible to the kingdom of this world. 
That's our job. That's why we witness. That's why we give glory to God. That's why we exert influence in other people's lives, to bring them to Jesus and to help them to live for the kingdom. And just as Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, we are the visible images of Jesus here in this world, of that, of that kingdom. And here's how that works. Number one, Jesus is the light. When he was here, he said, I'm the light of the world. John 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the light of the world in the darkness of sin. And when he left, he said, I'm the light of the world, and now you too, you are the light of the world. Look at Matthew 6. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, that lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in that same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our job is to take the invisible kingdom and make it visible. Our job is to take the light of God's truth and bring it into a dark world. So how do we do that? I'm glad that you asked that question. Number one, set new priorities. If your priorities are to acquire wealth and to acquire power and prestige and to, and to, and to have all sorts of nice things and to have influence and to do all of these things, your priorities are messed up. Your priorities are pointing you to the kingdom of this world. And who did we say is in charge of that one? Satan. So why do I want to be a part of that? So I need to change my priorities. I need to change how I think and how I feel about things and what I do about things. I need to get out of this world system by fully embracing the values of the kingdom of God. I don't have the graphic with me. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, you've seen it 12 times already, but it's, it's, it's something that's important for us to understand. Everything that you do, every belief that you have in your life, which then leads to the actions of your life, starts with your core belief. What do you believe about something? Your core belief influences how you think about something. Does that make sense? You, you believe it in the bedrock of your heart, and so it changes how you think and how you begin to, to feel about things. How you think leads to how you feel. And how many of you know how you feel your emotions are what lead to the actions and the behavior that you have. That's how it works. That's why, and I've said it a million times, I hope that somebody gets it tonight. That's why Paul said, change the way you act by changing the way you think. Let your core beliefs inform how you think, which will inform how you feel, which will dictate your actions. And your actions will be pleasing and in accordance with what God's kingdom wants. So where do my core values have to come from if that's going to happen? From God, <laughs> from his word. Those need to be our core beliefs. Friends, that's why it's so important to spend time in God's word. That's why it's so important to, to, to listen to Bible teaching and to read books and to do all of those things. We have to change our core belief from, from the things of this world to the things of that world. And when we do, it changes how we think and changes how we feel and changes how we behave. It's a simple thing, but it requires intentionality. That's how it works. So what do we do? I'm going to give you a couple different things. Number one, 
Actually, number two, because number one was change your priorities. But in addition, in, 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 as a part of that, we make each other, we make the body of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, our priority, a priority in our life. We help one another. We encourage one another. We teach one another. We support one another. Philippians 2, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. Then fulfill and complete my joy by doing this. This is another, this is what we have to do. By agreeing, by thinking the same way, wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind, one accord, and one purpose. In the Greek, which is what our New Testament, we read it in English, but it was originally written in Greek. In the Greek, the word that, that for like-minded means to think, to have a mindset, to be minded. And what it really has to do is be minded in such a way that it influences your will and your affections and your actions and your conscience. How do we become like-minded? I'm glad you asked that question. Since you're not answering, I'll give you the answer. We become like-minded by reading the same book. Oh, so that we're, it's not like opinionated, it's like-minded. We think this, the same things. We're in unity and agreement because our core beliefs are based on the Word of God, and it makes us like-minded, similar-minded. We think the same, so we act the same. And it goes on to say, that we should decide individually and collectively to do things God's way, not my way. So, what is God's way? Love God, love your neighbor. Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you live and how you walk. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most... Guys, I'm just going to tell you, this, this, this part, this verse, probably brings as much conviction to me in my life as any, so I'm just going to be transparent, but you need to hear this because this is important for all of us. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Can I just be prophetic to you? Can I speak to you on behalf of God? He said it. I'm just going to repeat his words, but I'm going to say it a couple different ways. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity that you're given in these evil days. Part of being representatives of the kingdom of God, part of fulfilling what we're called to do and pleasing God isn't just being like-minded, but to do the things that God has called us to do and to take every opportunity that we have. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, I don't always do that. Sometimes I get so angry with myself because I, I miss opportunities or I, I'm, I'm too lazy or I don't think about it. I'm thoughtless. And the Bible is saying, listen, you have a finite amount of time. You have a beginning and you have an end. And I don't know where in that continuum the return of Jesus is, but somewhere in there comes the end of time. The Bible says we must work while it is day because the night is coming when no man can work. So make the most of every opportunity. And we do that when we work for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of men or the kingdoms of this world. King James version of that verse says, see that you walk circumspectly, 
thoughtfully. Think about it, not as fools, but wise, redeeming, buying back the time that you've been given because the days are evil. This verse is not so much about the time that God has given to us as it is about the opportunities that he has given to us. And so he's saying, don't, don't waste those, buy those back. We don't know how much time we have left in our lives. There are people not in this room tonight that were here a year ago, and I doubt that any of them had any idea that they wouldn't be here with us. I think it's a pretty good possibility that there are people in this room right now who won't be with us this time next year. So the question is, for all of us, with the things that the opportunities to do that God has given to us, will we be faithful? Will we change the way we think and focus on the kingdom of God so that the things that we carry out here are done in accordance with the opportunities that we're given? So set new priorities. How will we best bring about God's purpose? Set new priorities and accomplish what God has called you and gifted you the opportunity to do. Number two, the Bible word for this, the King James word is occupy, Luke 19, 13. It says, before he left, Jesus called together, or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Jesus. This is a parable. Uh, and, and it's the guy who gives every, everybody the, the talents. I hate, I hate that word, and I'm not going to use it with you tonight because I, I don't know about you, I grew up in Sunday school, and, and everybody said, you have a talent. You know, and it sounds like talent, like you can sing or you can play the violin or whatever. You, you have a talent. You need to use your talent for God. That's not what the parable is about. A talent is a coin. So forget about talents. I'm just going to use the word coin, okay? So the master comes together and he gives coins to his servants. And he says to them, and it's in Luke 19, before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, 10 coins. And he said, invest this for me when I'm gone. The New International Version says, put this money to work until I come back. The King James Version says, occupy till I come. Now, I don't know about you, I've heard messages where guys have, have used the word occupy to, uh, uh, like it's the occupational forces of an army, you know, come in and occupy and, and take over things. But that is not what the original Greek says. The original Greek word has to do with furthering the interest, getting the work done with a dividend, occupy until I come. The Greek word for occupy is pragmatuomai, and it means to be doing, to be busy, to be occupied, to do business. Here's what it doesn't mean, because there are a dozen words in Greek that, that kind of mean sort of the same thing, and I want to make sure you understand what the scripture is not saying. It is not saying Ergozomai, it doesn't, it's, which is to work. It's not kater ergozomai, it's, which is to accomplish. It's not energeo, which is to affect or operate. And it's not kamno, which means to toil. Pragmatumei clearly carries the idea of carrying on business in a way that brings a profit. And what the principle of that, of that parable is, is that you have been given opportunities and God expects a return on those, and he wants you to occupy. He wants you to make investment in them. He wants you to bring a return with you when you come back to him. We won't ask for a show of hands, but how many in this room probably need to give a little bit more thought to what you're going to have from occupying and investing what God has given to you? I'll tell you, I am. 
So we're, do, we're to do that, but we're also called to serve God, to serve him willingly and obediently, and, and we're to witness to those. So that's an opportunity that God gives to us so that they can follow God, and we're to joyfully share God's plan of salvation with every opportunity that God has given to us. We're to occupy, we're to make good use of those things and bring a return with us when our time is up. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody is. When I, when I used to pray that prayer, I used to think if I pray that enough, then God will make his kingdom come and his will done. That's not what that verse means. What it means is, may I be so diligent, may I be so involved in your kingdom, may I be a faithful steward, may I be a good employee so that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that part of the prayer, friends, you're praying it for you, that God will do in you what you need to do to bring about his will and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you don't want to pray that way anymore now that you know that? No, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be showing progress. We're supposed to be uh, bringing God's purposes to this world. The purpose of that prayer is so that we are directed and energized and diligent to make it come, Matthew 24. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. How many of you want the end to come? How many of you want the end to come? (laughs) Yes, you don't want to stay here. You don't want this stuff to go on forever. So what does it say? Preach the gospel to the ends of the world. How many of you just realized you have yet another assignment from the Lord to do? That's what we're supposed to do. Number three, we'll trip through this. Do everything you already know to do. I I love I love trying to help people. They'll come in for counseling or they'll come and they'll ask me, Pastor Steve, how how can I know what God wants me to do? I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what I'm gifted to do. I don't I don't know what I'm called to do. You know, what what do I need to do to figure that out? Read the book read the book. There are so many things that believers already know. You've heard sermons. You've heard, you probably heard more sermons than you need in your life. Beloved, let me tell you, you already know what you should do, right? You don't need to hear anymore. We just need to do it. We need to do it. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, the, our world has changed and continues to change fundamentally. The basis of, of everything is changing, right? Do you agree with me? And, and it's interesting. I heard somebody say the other day uh, that, that, you know, we were, they refer in the news and, and, and everywhere to, uh, to the fact that uh, everything is, is, is unprecedented. These are unprecedented events in our country. And as a result of the fact that these are unprecedented, in other words, nothing has, like them has come before, they're unprecedented. We don't know what to do. Why do you think, why do you think so many people in government and the medical communities and everything, they don't know what to do because this is unprecedented. How many of you would like some precedented things to happen for a change? Not unprecedented. Well, here's the thing. The actions and activities of a believer are precedented, meaning they've already come before us. So we do what is precedented, what Scripture has already told us to do. Look at Acts 2.42. This is the early church. Jesus has left, the Holy Spirit has come, and the church is beginning. And this is what they did. 
all the believers devoted themselves, gave themselves to, made a priority of, continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are the precedented things. Those are the things that we do during this time to help bring about God's kingdom. So it says they devoted themselves to teaching. Teaching, uh, read your Bible, watch live streams, buy a book, watch someone's teaching series, devote yourself to the things of the Lord instead of the Hallmark Channel. Devote yourselves to the things of the Lord instead of NCIS. Devote yourself to the things of the Lord instead of talk radio. We, we become what we place in our minds. And so they devoted themselves to the things of God. Now, how many of you would just be real honest for a minute? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. And those of you who are at home, I can't see your hands anyway. But, but, but how many of you, that, that's a challenging thing. To think that I have to give some of those things up and devote myself to these other things. Isn't that terrible? That's our flesh. That's our sinful nature. That's this world giving us all sorts of distracting things for us to do. But they, in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. You've heard the Greek word before, koinonia. Koinonia means association, communion with one another. It doesn't just mean going over to somebody's house. But they spent time together. They lived life together. They lived in close relationship. Friends, we, we live in a day when there is an epidemic of loneliness because people don't get together and share their lives like they used to. I, I spent some time with a dear woman this week who said, I, I'm all alone. I don't know what to do. I said, you, at, at the very least, go to the library and sit and read books because there's people there. You may not have to do anything with those people. They'll leave you alone, but at least you'll be near people. Guys, we, we have learned to isolate, now more so than ever, and that goes exactly against what we're supposed to do as believers. So, Steve, how are we going to, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, how are we going to do that during COVID? I'll tell you how we're going to do that. You can call people on the phone. You can, have, you can have FaceTime visits with people on the phone where you can actually see them. You can stand on your side of the fence and talk to somebody else on their side of the fence. If, you're, if you feel comfortable enough doing it, you can go to somebody's home and sit six, eight, ten feet away from them and share time. But, we, but guys, what we have to do is we have to find new ways to accomplish what we've already been told we need to do. So get creative. And by the way, if you come up with some creative ideas, let me know, because I'd love to share them with everybody. But, but, but the Bible calls us to live in fellowship, and COVID is making it difficult, but not impossible. And you need it, and I need it. I want to encourage you to do what we, what we know to do. It also tells us to share meals together. Now, I know that's even trickier, because that means being near somebody. And, and I don't have a really great way of doing that, except for except for, at, a, at the very minimum, we need to be sharing meals in our home with our family. Because what Acts says is, they shared meals with one another, including the Lord's Supper. I'm going to put a burden on you husbands, on you dads. You can and should be leading communion with your family. 
I know it feels awkward. I know you don't feel like you're, you know, only pastors do that. No, they don't. No, they don't. That's the point. Believers just did it together when they went to other people's houses. Francis Chan, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a really great Bible teacher. And Francis Chan uh, challenges me because whenever they have guests over to their home, whenever they eat dinner at night, they have communion before they eat. Could you do that? Yeah, that's a part of it. So we find opportunities. Maybe you could go to a restaurant where you can sit six feet away from people. Or maybe you can just find a way to do that in spite of what's going on in this world. Because those are the things we know to do so that we have what we need in order to get through this life. And then it says they continue together in prayer. And prayer, primarily in this context, means praying together. It's one of the reasons why I invited you to come up here. It's one of the reasons why, why you can get on the phone and pray with somebody. In fact, Shelly's been really good about, about helping me with this. You, you, you might not think it when you look at my face when it happens sometimes. Sorry about that, honey, because you're right. But my mom called. She was kind of concerned about some things. And so we talked about it and kind of got her picked up and encouraged and stuff like that. And Shelly, <laughs> before I said goodbye, she knew the conversation was coming to an end. And Shelly looks at me and she goes, and I've learned what that means is you pray with her before she gets off the phone. <laughs> and Shelly's exactly right. And you know what? Man of God, I shouldn't need to be reminded, but I do sometimes. But instead of just saying, Mom, this is going to be okay. Mom, will pray for you. We pray for one another. My pre- mom prays for us on the phone all the time. Could you do that with people? You, I'm telling you, I promise you, the first time you do it, it'll feel awkward. Welcome to the club. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll feel with it. And they prayed together. They didn't just pray for one another. They prayed with one another. And that's one of the ways that as citizens of God's kingdom, we get through this life and help others to get through that. And then next, be Jesus to the kingdom of men. Be Jesus to the people of this world. We're going to run out of time, so I'm going to read this fast. And I can do it, but don't miss what it says. Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered into his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left, and then he will say to those on his right, the sheep, that's you and me, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world, because, this is why you get to do it, because... I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I stood on the street corner with my will work for, for, for food sign, and you, you helped me financially. Friends, there are so many ways that we can be Jesus to this world. And that's one of the things that, as members of a different world, a different country, we make a difference in the one that we have found ourselves in, Colossians 4. Because Jesus said, by the way, a couple of verses down, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of those, the least of them, you were doing it to me. You want to bless Jesus? Bless people. Be Jesus to people. It's easy. 
Colossians 4 goes on and says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your, and here's how you do it. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Be Jesus to people. Don't be argumentative. Don't be judgmental. Don't yell at them and tell them they need to turn or burn. Be loving and gracious and let them know that Jesus doesn't want to punish them. He wants to save them. But friends, if we don't tell them, how will they know? Be Jesus to those around you. Number four, hold lightly to this world. If you're not going to be in this world much longer, probably most of the people in this room were not, then, then one of the way, things that we do is we don't hold tightly to the things of this world. When you die, you're not taking it with you. And it's not that important anyway. Yes, I know you need, to, you need a roof over your head, and you need to pay your bills, and you need to feed your family. And yes, all of those things. But the things of the world, like success, like entertainment, like leisure, like all those things that are a part of this world structure, hold lightly to those things. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy a little bit of that, but hold lightly to it. That's not why we're here. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The world isn't just fading away. It's set up to infect you. I hope those words are chilling to you. This world is set up to infect you. Now, if you ever heard of Bill Wilson, Bill is the founder and senior pastor of Metro World Child. It's the world's largest, or America's largest ministry to children. It's got branches in several nations. Bill started doing children's ministries in, in terrible places in New York. He's seen a lot of really bad things, and here's what he said. Because most people live their lives on emotion, our commitment has to be stronger than our emotions. He goes on to say, if I, if, I did, if I didn't do anything, every time I didn't feel like doing anything, I wouldn't do much. But the commitment side of it is what carries one way beyond emotions. And if people can grasp and make that applicable in their lives, it will carry them past the horrific things that life just seems to throw at you. He goes on to say, I've seen 23 people murdered. I've seen 23 people murdered. Saw a little girl get her head chopped off. I was stabbed twice. I was thrown off of a building. I was shot in the head. But everything that has happened to me in these past 50 years of ministry was designed to get me to quit. This world, is the things that's in Satan's realm, the things that he throws at you are designed to make you quit. Don't quit. That's our next point. We, we, have to go, we have to continue on. He said, if you quit, the enemy wins. The game's over, and you become no more than a statistic. Friends, I want to encourage you today. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't quit. Encourage yourself daily by doing the next thing, keeping your eyes on the future. I promise you, as good as this world can sometimes be, as beautiful as this world can sometimes be, as wonderful as our lives can sometimes be, the one that waits for a believer is far beyond what any of us can even imagine. So don't look at the hard times of the world. Don't look at the ugly things of the world. That's what Bill Wilson is saying. Don't let those things cause you to quit. Focus on the future. Keep the future in sight. Galatians 5, uh, 6 9. So don't get tired of, what's, of doing good. In other words, don't quit. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, if we don't quit. 
James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure the testing and temptation of this world. After all that, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Number six, keep the future in sight. Then he led them, Luke 24 says, out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worship him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't it interesting how just a few weeks before when Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm not going to be with you forever, they were brokenhearted. It was horrible. They were in a, they were, it was a mess. And yet when Jesus finally did leave, they were overjoyed. They went back rejoicing. What changed? What changed? How did they go from one extreme to the other? They did it because in that period of time, they came to understand where Jesus was going and why he was going there and what it meant to them. And I want to encourage you tonight to encourage yourself. Jesus went to a specific place for a specific reason so that he could come back and take you and me one day. Keep the future in your sight. If you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, you can do almost anything. You can put up with almost anything. You can endure almost anything because you know it's not going to last forever. Keep your eyes on the future. And we're not waiting for that kingdom. It's already here. It's in us. We've talked about that tonight. And yet, we can look forward to more of it in the days and years ahead. Isaiah 35, and I'll close with this. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flower and singing and joy. The deserts will become green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, here's what I want to leave you with. This is what we're going to do for each other in the days ahead. With this news, the joy of the future that is before us, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage them, strengthen them. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and don't fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even comprehended or thought of the great things that God has in store for those who love him and serve him. And friends, it's important for us to hold lightly to the things of this world, to remember we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We're here for a season. But the season that's yet to come is going to be a wonderful one as the Lord comes and brings about the completion of his kingdom here on the world. The devil, we know, will be destroyed. He will be locked away. He will meet his end. And life for us in the kingdom of God is going to be wonderful. Would you bow your heads for me, with me for just one minute? I think one of the things we need to do is we need to learn to discern the difference between the world that we've been placed in to live and the world that we really belong to and are moving toward. I'd like to encourage you to, in your times of prayer, to ask God to help you to recognize that and to realize that and to understand that. We need to actively resist 
the pull of this world, the, the, the temptations of this world, the things that the world tries to do to get us off track by looking so really wonderful and really good to us. Will you ask God to help you with that? We, we need to be in active resistance in our personal life to the world system and what it tries to get us to do. We're affected by it and infected by it all of the time. And with God's help, we can resist and we must resist. We need to learn to remind ourselves that we are not a part of this world or anything in it. Say it again. We are not a part of this world or anything in it. I want to encourage you to pray and ask the Lord to show you that and help you to remember it. We need to occupy and we need to survive this world until we are airlifted out of here one day by the grace of God. But not just to survive, but to thrive. We need to work and occupy and bring as many people with us as we can. And we need to pray, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in us and through us on earth as it is in heaven. Will you join me in doing that tonight? Lord, we thank you that you have removed us from this world, not physically, but spiritually, and you have placed us in your kingdom. God, we have such a a wonderful future to look forward to because of what you've done for us, but we have a great future here on earth as we live for and represent your kingdom here on earth, as we experience the blessings of your kingdom lived out here on earth. And so, Lord, in those areas where we have allowed the world to infect us and to shape our thinking, Lord, we turn those things over to you, and we pray that in the days ahead as individuals and as a church, God, you would lead us ever closer to the things you've called us to do, to, to pray, to, to read your word, to spend time with one another, to share meals with one another, to be Jesus, to be light in a dark world. God, all of these things tonight, by the help of your spirit, may we, on the day of reckoning, when we have to show you what we did with all of the opportunities and gifts that you gave to us, Lord, may we not be found wanting but may we, by the grace of God, have something wonderful to show for what we have done and what you have given us opportunity to do in this world. Lord, our lives are yours. The kingdom of God is yours, and we are a part of that kingdom. We give ourselves to you anew and afresh tonight and pray that in our individual lives and in this church, you would do something really remarkable as we turn from this world and reorient ourselves to yours. God, be glorified in our lives. Use us to do great things. May our lives be pleasing in your sight as you help us by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody who wants it says, amen, amen. The Lord bless you. See you guys next time. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.